Okay, everyone. Thank you again for joining. We are going to learn now a continuation of what we started last week, Thursday night. It's Maimer Pashas Bishalach, Ashid Al Hashem. A little bit. A little bit. Tiny bit. I gotta fix this. Good. And I think we're good like this. Go straight. That'll be straight. Okay. I think we should be good. Should be good. A little too, too populated over here. Someone made a comment on the YouTube. I don't know who it was. And they, they got all excited that they love, they love the color of the books <laughs> of last class. I love the colors. They were blue and red. And, and you should know that comment made me very happy, whoever you are. <laughs> I also love the color of the books. They're the best. And whatever we teach, first we have good color books. Anyways, today's book color is red. <laughs> Not going to be such a colorful class with so many colors. The other book that I'm also using is also red. So there you go. I'm actually not going to use this. Okay, here we go. So um, last week we were learning, we're learning about the song that the Jewish people sang with, at the Yamsuf. We're learning this discourse. I have to say that this is, <laughs> I saved this discourse throughout all the years because I always had a, a hard time learning it. It's a hard discourse. I mean, it, it's, it's not easy to figure out what he's saying. Uh, it's from the harder ones in the book. And that's for some reason, I guess I must have tried it a few times and gave up on it. But this year, we have to crack through. So, Baruch Hashem. So, last week, I taught a little bit and I pretended to be tired. But the real reason I didn't teach the whole thing was because I just couldn't figure out the discourse. So, I got stuck in the middle. So, we only learned part of it. Um, and I was worried that I would have to uh, surrender this week. But thank God, literally, in the last hour, um, I had a little bit more clarity and things were coming together a little bit. I hope that while we learn, it'll, it'll clarify itself and the true life and light and godliness of the discourse will, will um, reveal itself to us and we can connect on the deepest level. I just saw today some very special story I didn't see today. I heard today a beautiful story, which gives you an idea of like, like what these maimorim are, there's so, there's so much. Uh, I heard today this, this story from Rabbi Paltiel. There's a, there's a rabbi who teaches Hasidus, his name is Rabbi Yossi Paltiel, and he's a very good resource. For those of you who don't get enough of my classes, you can check out his classes too, his awesome classes. His name is Rabbi Yossi Paltiel, and he has a website called Inner Hasidus. You see, I, 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 I advertise my competition. <laughs> And because we're all teaching the same stuff. Anyways, Rabbi Paltiel, I love his history classes. He has classes over there on the, on the uh, history of Hasidus. And when I do exercise, when I go biking, which I did today, thank God, um, I like it. It's much easier. Time flies by and it's just uh, so much smoother, easier, more exciting uh, ride when I'm listening. So today I listened to one of his classes and it was on the Mizritcha Magid, who's the, the Rebbe of the Alter Rebbe, the one that we study every week, his teacher. Second master of Hasidus, the successor of the Bolshemtov. 
So we had two students, and their name was Reb Shmelke of Nicholasburg, and the other one was Reb Pinchas. They were two brothers. They were geniuses of geniuses, scholars of scholars. Um, the Rebbe, the, the Mizritcher Maggit sent them to Germany. These were the only two of his students that he sent to Germany to open shop in Germany. And Germany was a very, very, very scary place to go to those days, not physically, but spiritually, because all the Jews in Germany at that time were on their way out, meaning in terms of observance. It was a very, what we call the Haskalah, the Enlightenment movement, wreaked havoc on the, on the Jewish world. And so for, to ask a Hasidic rabbi to go there and to try to inspire it was very difficult. And they didn't want to go. The Magid, I mean, the Magid kind of encouraged them strongly. But in any case, at one time when they were at the Magid to come, one of the things he relates in today's class that I was listening was that when these students would come, the, they would generally hang out for a nice couple of weeks, some of them a few months. And they would come for periods. They wouldn't come like, you know, fly into the Rebbe back and forth. It was, it was a journey. It was a difficult thing. So they would come for a couple of months, soak it up and go back. Um, the Maggid primarily was not a Rebbe for masses. From all the um, Hasidic masters, he was one of the masters. He, he was a master who taught the masters. Basically, he had an inner circle. That was his inner circle. And that was his club. And those were the people he taught. He didn't even want to teach the simple people, even though Hasidus is all about the simple people, because he knew that he had to structure a entire team of teachers. So he was the he, he was the guide of the instructors. He was the Rebbe of the Rebbes. So by doing that, he needed to give all his time because he needed to make sure that Hasidus would be implemented and last amongst the Jewish people. So he couldn't divide his time amongst the regular people. The Balshemtev was a Rebbe to the simple. To everybody alike, but the Mizritcha Magad was a rabbi to, to teachers. All the and he, only he was very selective. You could to become a student of his, you had to go through uh, a serious soul inspection, and he's he was the one who gave that soul inspection. And he turned away the greatest scholars and the greatest tzaddikim were turned away by him. He picked only the the choicest of the choicest, the people that he can make them into great masters on their own right, and they came to be educated by him. So he can lift them up to the highest heights. Anyways, so these two brothers were there, and when they were ready to leave, I don't know, they spent there a month, two months, I don't know how long they were there. When they were ready to leave, they came in Sunday to take to say goodbye to their to take leave from their Rebbe. And he should bless them with success and whatever. I don't know if this was before he sent them to Germany or once they were in Germany already, but whatever. Um, so when he, he asked them, with what are you going? Like, what are you taking with you that you're traveling, that you're leaving? You know, it looks like you had enough already here. So with what are you taking? What are you going with? And they said, with the teaching you taught us on this past Shabbos. We've absorbed your teaching that you taught us this Shabbos. And this is the fuel that we're going to use when we go back to our prospective towns, wherever we are. So the Rebbe said to them, the Magid says, so tell me, what did, what did I say this Shabbos? And they were, you know, very, very, very great rabbis on their own, and they had a very good memory, and they recorded it in their head, and they absorbed it. So they repeated to him what they heard. And the Magid says, I didn't say that. So they went out shocked, and they were like, talking to each other, each one. They both heard 
they heard that from the market, and the market said, I didn't say that. So they realized that they just didn't get it. He must have said something deeper, something higher. They're just not catching it. So they stayed an extra week. They figured they're not ready to go back. They stayed an extra week. And then on Shabbos, this time, they listened with even greater intention to the Torah of the Magid. And when the Magid completed saying his Torah, they really, really, you know, made sure to like really absorb it. And the next day, they came to take leave from the Magid. The Magid said, with what are you going home with? And they said with the Torah that the Rebbe said on Shabbos. And the Magid said, what did I say? So they repeated the Torah. And the Magid said, that's not what I said. So now it's already two weeks. Okay. So they stayed a third week. And they were there for Shabbos. And this time they gave it every ounce of their concentration and every ounce of their being to be able to absorb every little. They absorbed. They came in the third time. And the Magad said, with what are you leaving? And they said, with the Torah that we heard on Shabbos. He said, what did I say? So they repeated the Torah that they heard. And the Magad said, and they were, they, they were hoping they weren't going to hear this. And the Magad says, that's not what I said. They left so brokenhearted, they couldn't even imagine. And then they thought to themselves, okay, if we're not getting him, then it's a waste of time being here because we're just not getting it. So then we just leave and we don't come back. It wasn't that they were insulted. They just... Figure it. If, if they've tried three times, it's not going. It means for whatever reason, their souls are not open to what the Magad is teaching. Um, then, then they don't belong here. So they came back to the Magad and they basically said to the Magad, if we're not, if we're not connecting to you, then we will leave. It was nice being here. It was great. We were inspired. But if you say we're not getting it, then uh, we quit, basically. So the Maggid said, now don't quit. The Maggid says, go, go to my student, Reb Zalman, you. That's what he called the Alter Rebbe, the author of what we learned at night. He said, go, he was the youngest student. He said, go to him, ask him. Okay. As great as they were, they were also very humble. And even though the Alter Rebbe was much younger than them, they went to the Alter Rebbe and they said, and they told him what's going on. They said, like, what did the Maggid say? You were with us, you heard the same Torah. Tell us what the Magad said to Shabbos. So the Altareb says, I'll tell you. And the Altareb started repeating the Magad's Torah. But the Altareb repeated the Magad's Torah with every gesture that the Magad made when he said the Torah. Every movement of his hand, every nuance, every time the Magad blinked his eye, the Altareb blinked as well. Every movement of the head. And that's how we gave over the Torah, with the, with, the, with the details and details. It wasn't just the words and it wasn't just the thoughts. It was the entire presentation from the beginning to the end. And then they realized, what does it mean to absorb the Torah of the Magad? They realized that the Magad is communicating. One of the communications that he's communicating is his words. There is a whole new bunch of other, so to speak. It's a, it's a multidimensional a transmission that he's given over and on so many levels and to really absorb it. Yeah. <laughs> you're picking up on everything. So therefore, sometimes you think, you know, we're, we're reading it. We can't watch the Alter Rebbe say the Mimer, you know, that, that we can't do. We're learning it from Makuti Torah. We're learning it from Torah or we're learning it from the Sefer. That's why I always feel we need the blessing of God that we should, we should get it. It should go into us because that we're, we're obviously we're meant to learn it this way.
So we should capture the godliness of what we're learning. Okay, that being said, so what did we learn last week? So the Jewish people said, I will sing to God because he's exalted over the, over the exalted ones. The horse and his rider he threw into the sea. So I'm going to do a very brief review. The Alter Rebbe began with the question, and so the Targum says, there is high, and he's high over the high. And they were so, by the splitting of the sea, they witnessed God being high over the high. So he's going to explain what does that mean, high over the high. And what does it mean, I will sing to God? What does that mean? I mean, obviously, Simon will sing, but we'll see soon later. It's so much deeper than that. On the divine level, what does that mean? Chassidus is divine. Chassidus is godliness. We're studying Torah now on a divine level because we're learning these books that, that, are, that, are, that are tapping the essence of the Torah. And then it says, the horse and the rider, he, uh, Rama, he lifted up. It's simply referring to Pharaoh's horses and his, and his riders and the Egyptian riders, horsemen, were cast into the sea, were cast up, cast down, Rama. So what's the deeper meaning here? So he asked the question, why does a soul come down into this world? He explains in the Mimer that a soul experiences constant and, and, and um, powerful love and fear of God when the soul is in heaven. When the soul comes down into the body, the, soul, the soul's love and fear is incomparable to what I had before. Number one, it's not consistent. Most of the time we're distracted. Even if we try hard, we can sometimes get a little love and fear here and there, but not that much. And the quality of that love and fear that we get when we're in a body doesn't come close to the quality, the intensity of the love and fear that the soul had of God when it stood in heaven. So coming down into a body is basically a real bummer for the soul. It's what it is, it's, it's horrible. There's got to be a really good reason why our kind father in heaven sent us down here. And the answer he gives is because only down here we can do a mitzvah. And only down here can we study Torah in its physical form. Even though they study Torah up there. But they study a spiritual Torah. And we get to study Torah in the physical form and we get to do a physical mitzvah. And these physical mitzvahs and these and the Torah that we study as it is in the, its physical form, dealing with physical matters, is infinitely more precious and infinitely higher than all the love and fear of the highest celestial beings, including the most sublime soul. One should never, ever, ever exchange a mitzvah for the greatest spiritual experience. Ecstasy, bliss, enjoyment, emotional outpouring. Nothing is as great as helping your neighbor pull in the bags, extending help, doing an act of kindness, giving charity in the physical world. 
wrapping tefillin on your arm with physical boxes, wrapping yourself in a talus, lighting a Shabbos candle tomorrow evening. There's nothing, nothing they can compare to that. It's worth taking a soul and tormenting the soul by ripping it away, by covering it, by obscuring it, by blocking it for a lifetime. 70, 80, 90, 100 years. If you live long, 120, 180, whatever life. But it's, and on some level, it's torment to the soul because the soul down here knows the physical, not the spiritual, and therefore it doesn't experience, and it's very painful to the soul. Yet, it's worth it. Because only down here can it, can it collect a physical mitzvah. But then we obviously going to turn the question around and say, how is that possible? How can a physical mitzvah be so much greater than all the ecstasy, bliss, and love, and fervor, and excitement, and passion that the soul is experiencing in heaven? Isn't the spiritual experiences of so much greater value? The brief answer, we learned it long last week, but the brief, um, um, the brief um, review of what we discussed last week is that the soul's passion, excitement, fervor comes from its perception of God, from its knowledge of God, and that is only the divinity of creation. And the divinity of creation is only but a tiny little drop, a little, little here's drop of the infinite. So when the soul is yearning and excited and, 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 and passionate and, and about God, it's the God that's the source of creation, not God's true self. The soul has no inkling and so doesn't any creature in the universe, in the spiritual cosmos, have any inkling of God as he's beyond the construct of creation. When we say creation, I include in creation the myriads and myriads and myriads of spiritual worlds, higher and higher and higher, but they're all part of creation. So once God comes down, lowers, makes that quantum leap, makes that transition from his it's what we spoke about Monday night as well. Remember we spoke about there is up and down in the class we spoke, there's higher and lower within the construct of time and space, within the construct of worlds, there's higher and lower. But then we mentioned that real high really means outside of the entire construct of high and low. It's, it's, it's on a whole different level. And on that level, God is utterly, utterly, utterly unknown. So much so that he's not even called a wonder. Because in order to wonder about something, you have to have some kind of like sense of it. And when you have some kind of a sense of it, you can sense that it is higher, it is transcendent, it is wonderful. It's, I don't grasp it, it's amazing. But to be able to say that something is amazing, it's, it's beyond, is that you sense it a little bit and then you can say that it's beyond. There are levels like that. That level that we can like, that, that kind of like, the souls in heaven, talking about spiritual creatures, angels above, celestial beings above, are like mystified by it. And they're, they're so excited about it. They're like, wow, like what's beyond? What's beyond? They sense there is a beyond. That level is called Pella. It's called wonder. So there's two levels in the godliness that souls get excited about in heaven. There's the levels that they can perceive and understand. And they're very excited about that because they see its enormous power 
in, 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 in creating the cosmos. They sense it. They see it. They can feel it. They can, and they can somehow understand it and appreciate it. But they realize that that's just nothing compared to the godliness that transcends. And that transcendental godliness is called Pella. It's called a wonder, but they can get excited about it. They can't identify it in a direct way. They can, they, they can sense its elevation. They can sense that they don't get it and thereby be excited about it. But that's not God. That's God teasing them by being above them. God's true being is not even above them. And what, and what do souls in heaven know about his very self? Nothing. In a sense, when they recognize that, they just give up. That's like the ceiling. In other words, they, they, they run, they race. As I said, souls are always racing. They're racing. They're, they're understanding. They, they get fire up. It says they're like flames of fire. They flare up with enormous passion and love. To what? To experience the transcendence. But when they get a little deep into the transcendence, they hit that roof of like a place of silence because they can't even be excited about it because they realize they know nothing of it. So they shrivel back into themselves and they stop. And they keep on, this, this is a constant experience. So really, what is, so let's put it this way. There is God's imminence. There is God's beyondness. But then there is beyond beyond. And the real Eberster, the real God, truth of God is beyond, beyond. And since it's beyond, beyond, they have no sense in that. And if they have no sense in it, they can't love it, connect to it. And how far is it from them? It's an absolute distance. That's the point. So all of its excitement and all of its climbing of ladders and ladders and ladders and ladders and higher and flights that the soul takes to the highest, 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 highest places, it's all within the relativity of the divine that is that has all completely metamorphosized from who God really is to be a source for creation and existence. But before that metamorphosis, before that infinite descent, we're completely cut off. Completely. And that's the beauty of Torah and Mitzvot. Torah and Mitzvot is God's will. Whose will? Not the will of the imminent of God. Not the will of the beyond of God. The Torah and Mitzvot comes from the beyond beyond. And that's why when we look at these Mitzvot, sometimes they look so ridiculous. <laughs> And we can't even begin figuring it out. Some mitzvahs feel very cool. You realize there's a cool mystery here. Some of them are like, huh? Like some of the details when you learn halacha, like, come on. It sounds like so sometimes childish, sometimes silly, sometimes so overly, ridiculously, insanely, like, unimportant. <laughs> well, who are you dealing with? It's the will of someone who's beyond, beyond. And that's why 
the stupidest thing to say. I usually don't use that word too much, but I can't even say silly, but really the stupidest thing that people say is, why would God care if I do? Okay, why would God care? Okay. You want to have a God that you can figure out why he cares. This is the idea. The Abish there, Torah Mitzvah is coming from a place that we can't relate to it. The only thing is we're lucky we can surrender to it and do his mitzvah. And on that level, we give him fulfillment by doing his mitzvah. And he decided that that gives how, how what we're, and only the physical mitzvahs, only down here in the physical body. So what does it do for the soul when it does a mitzvah? It gives the soul the quantum leap that it could never have with all of its excitements that it had in it. Could, couldn't even begin to go there. In the words that he uses over here, there is what we call the order of evolving worlds, the actual construct of creation, which exists on, on to, to, with the energy of that, of that construct of creation. The, the, the divinity of the construct, as we spoke earlier, exists on two levels. The graspable elements of the divine, the God of creation, the godliness of creation, the energy that is in, in the indwelling light of God, called sometimes referred to as he fills all worlds. The second level, but that's also part of the construct, is God's mysterious transcendence. And in that level, what is it called? God's mysterious transcendence is what? It's called Soviet Kalamani, encompasses all worlds. Now these two levels from, so let me put it into Kabbalistic terms, from Chachman and downward, from wisdom and downward, like the 10, ten attributes beginning with wisdom, is the indwelling of the divine, that which is possible to grasp. I mean, to who? Sublime, 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 sublime beings can grasp. We can grasp tiny little, 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 little nothing of it. Okay. Then the transcendence of God, but it is a transcendence that the creation can sense that transcendence. That which is called a wonder, that's keter, that's crown. And that level is called Pele, or wonder. Okay, so there is what we don't wonder about because we can understand. And then there is what we wonder about, what is above our understanding, and not just ours, but above the understanding of any being. But yet, you can get excited about it because you sense its transcendence. And that's Pele. But then there is a level called Adoin Haniflois, the master of the wonder. So what's the master of the wonder? The one who transcends transcendence, who transcends the wonder. And how much does he transcend the transcendent energy? Is that the transcendent energy is literally the same to him like a cookie. Yeah, I didn't make a slip of my tongue. I mean that literally. 
A cookie is a cookie. And what's the transcendent energy that envelops all of the cosmos to God's transcendence of transcendence? A cookie. Same value. That's why it's called, that, that's emphasizing to what degree he transcends it. And that's why we, he, on, on, that, on that level of Abdoin, he's the master of wonder. He's above wonder. In another verse, we call it Oisei Pele. He does wonder. He do, it's the same to him like a physical action. When you do a physical action, right? So to him, like he's doing something physical, he's making wonder. It's like an action that he made. Just like you are so much higher than the thing you do, than the action you do, God infinitely beyond Kesser, beyond the crown. And that's called sometimes Pnimiyata Kesser, the innermost of crown, or sometimes it's referred to as Radla, Reisha the head that's not known, that's not revealed. Or on more general terms, we refer to it the Orain Sof himself, the infinite light itself. So that's the level where Torah, where, where, that's the level where all of the love and fear of the soul doesn't relate to. And therefore there is no connectivity to that. By the giving of the Torah, God made, God opened up the channel to that love. He opened up the channel to his very self. And that's why this is the most exciting parsha, parshas Yisrael. This is a time that God connects to us from His very being, and that is the reason why, prior to the giving of the Torah, the Alter Rebbe explains. Prior to the giving of the Torah, we have to go through the sea. The splitting of the sea. The splitting of the sea is indicating that we are now going to open up what was until now utterly inaccessible. It's not that the splitting of the sea itself, now you might, the way I was, I was struggling with this. I thought for a while, maybe it means the very notion of what's the sea. The sea is closed. It's a closed zone. Humans can't go into the sea. You go into the water, you drown not meant for our exploration. But we created certain devices to help us go there. Because for Shalom, they malfunction, we're in trouble. Because we really can't be under the water. We have to be on top. So it's a closed place. Hearing open the sea means God invites us into the aquatic world. So he, he allows you to take a look at the magnificence of the inner hidden, the inner, the secret of existence. So we might argue and say that's the that's the symbolism and the splitting of the sea that happened before the giving of the Torah. That what we were saying earlier about what is concealed from the concealed, the transcendence of the transcendence, God is ripping that open and allowing us to see that. But I felt that that's not what He means. It was bothering me. I felt that that's not what He. Means. And then I confirmed it. This short mimer from the altar of short. So it's, a, it's a relatively normal size mimer discourse from the Alter Rebbe, which is basically a, a page and a half. This is a book from the Alter Rebbe's son called Teres Chaim. 
It's got the same discourse, but it's 35 pages. I'm kidding. 35 pages. And each page got four on and on and on and on and on. I didn't read it all. I read a little bit. I, and he helped me out a little bit because he, he, he's so expansive. So he, you know, when you read it over here, you get it. So over there, he confirmed my, my sense that that's not what he's saying. What he's saying is like this. Remember I told you earlier there was high and there was low. High is the mysterious hidden worlds. They're called high, including what we called earlier, the, the level that we wonder about. That's called high. Okay? What we wonder about. The level called transcendence that we wonder about. And then there is low. Low means the visible physical world, but maybe even everything we can understand is called low. So there's low, what is graspable, what is, what, and therefore has some limits and definitions. And then the transcendent, what, what, what at least appears to the finite universe as infinite, an infinite that's relative to the finite, if we can say that. And that's called the hidden world. That's the beyond. When God split the sea, what he did was he equalized these two realms that the hidden became revealed. If the hidden became revealed means that they're now on an equal level. The, 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 the infinite and the finite are standing equal. How can that be? There is such a infinite gap between the finite and the infinite. How can the infinite and finite be equal? And that's the idea that the sea, which represents the, the unknown, the infinity, and dry land, how can they even out that the sea becomes dry land? What that means, the infinite becomes knowable. How can that be? It's because the power that is really, really driving it, the power that's really activating that, the power that's coming into play now, that's engaging, is from a place where we said earlier, where, 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 where that, that infinite encompassing light is exactly the same like a cookie. Cookie is a circle and that's an infinite circle. <laughs> the idea is that when what is beyond beyond is revealed, then the beyond and the non-beyond are standing equal to you, are exactly equal. It equalizes everything because what has now revealed, so here's the thing, God's very self didn't reveal himself at the sea. That's only going to be revealed through the mitzvah that we do. And that's going to happen 40 days later when we go to Sinai, something like that. 40 days later when we're at Sinai, then God's very self is going to be revealed to us in the mitzvot that we do. But in order that we should be vessels and containers and, and be ready to receive that, God had to give us an encounter with that transcendental, with the transcendence of transcendence from where the mitzvahs are coming from. So we had to see that power at play, even though we didn't see it, but we saw its influence. And where did we see its influence? When, when, what is small and what is big can become completely unified. 
when what is hidden and revealed can suddenly be equal and the same, when, when we can tap the infinite in the same way like you can tap the finite, is a sign that something that's even beyond the infinite is being revealed. Is, 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 is the power beyond, not being revealed, but is, is, is engaging now, is, is producing this. He's coming into play. He's getting involved in this. In this, he's making his. You're feeling the vibration, so to speak, of the transcendence of the transcendence, and that's why it takes the transcendence and the imminence and unifies them together. So that's why the splitting of the sea was the introduction to the giving of the Torah. Now, when we receive the Torah, now, now in the last piece that we learned, he explains that Torah, however, and the mitzvahs, once God has already engaged us from that level, then at Sinai, he communicated particulars from that transcendence of transcendence. And he gave it to us in what? in the form of physical Torah and physical missus. And only Torah in its physical incarnation and only mitzvot in their physical incarnations are rooted in his very self. Let me put it this way. If we are um, studying Torah undressed from its physicality, and if we're doing the spiritual element of mitzvah, like a soul would do in heaven, but it's not enclosed in the physical form, in its, in its most material husk, which we would think is the least important, then we are moving unbelievable energies. We are tapping into, because it's a mitzvah, it's Torah, it's powerful lights and wisdom, and uh, you're moving, shaking, unbelievable stuff. But it's all within the construct. It's not God at all. It's all godliness, but it's not God. To touch God's very essence, there is no other way. The beginning is wedged at the end. In this physical world, so one penny in the tzedakah box accomplishes more than 80, 90, 100 years of meditative prayer and fasting. Let that sink in. Prayer is also a mitzvah, okay? And as, but I'm saying, I'm talking about prayer for its own quality of connection that comes from you praying, not as you fulfilling the mitzvah of prayer. Fasting and meditation meditative prayer and fasting in a real way. And you're not, you know, you're not, it's no bluff. This is a real pursuit of the divine in connection to, to, to transcendent energies and to higher, higher elements and you're dropping the material and physical and you're going into a state and you will reach for sure. There are spiritual layers to existence and one can tap them through, through a, uh, delving into your soul, into a deeper place, to silencing the outside and touching the inside. But where will it get you? It will get you a couple of notches beyond the physical world. That's all. And if you're really super good, it will get you 
a hundred notches. It will get you uh, It will get you to a deeper realities. You're never breaking out of the construct of creation. And even if you touch transcendence, you're touching what we said before, that cookie. You're not getting to God himself. You're touching what is what is to us, to the, to, to the finite universe, an infinite light that surrounds it. But God is beyond infinite as well. So God himself, you're not touching only when you're learning Torah and doing mitzvahs in the physical. And he brings a very fascinating thing because he talks about the idea of the horse and the rider. So we're going to come back to the horse and the rider later in the end of the Mimer. In the meaning of the horse and the rider he cast into the sea. But he uses the idea of the horse and the rider to explain to us the quality of the physical Torah. See, in the, in the Torah study, as we have it, even in its physical incarnation, there are two parts to it. There is the ideas that we're studying, the concepts, and then there is the physical, the physical letters which we say with our mouth. So obviously, we appreciate and that's our natural understanding. Just give me the idea. Give me the idea. Don't talk so much. Give me the idea. Or when we're whatever it is, when, when we want to understand and we appreciate Torah is divine, it's godly. So we know that the, the more spiritual side of the Torah, even I'm saying, even when we're learning Torah in its most fit, we're learning uh, Talmud, you're learning, you know, logical discussions on this and on that. You know, the mo we generally gravitate more to the content. The content is what we find the value in. The content compared to the words is spirit compared to matter. So which is more valuable? The spirit is more, more valuable than the matter. But being that Hasidus always turns everything on its head, everything upside down. So Hasidus says, no, 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 no. There's nothing more precious than the holy letters, the holy words. Yeah, the utterance of the physical letters as they are, as they are, as they are coming out of a physical tongue and lips and teeth and the five organs of speech, the physical breath and sound, the letters themselves, not the content that is not the ideas conveyed, conveyed in these letters, but the letters themselves. Reverend Atalia Stulich, may he be healthy, uh, he always tells me that his father, his father was a huge scholar. And he came out of Russia, fought, you know, stayed a, a fiery Jew in, in the Soviet Union, a great man, a scholar par excellence. He would always tell me that his father learned, when his father would always learn, he would always say, oh, 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 holy letters, holy letters. The every guy who has the most genius, brilliant understanding, what is he excited about? The letters. Because the letters are so much greater than the content. Why? Because that's the whole theme that we're talking about. God's very essence is, 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 it is so high, it's so opposite of the way we think that God's very essence, because God is infinitely removed from the physical and the spiritual equally, so spirituality isn't any closer to him. And for whatever reason, he chose physical. So the physical, um, the physical um, utterance of those letters are so much holier. 
And the example that he, that he uses, the metaphor for that, is that words are called horses. Words are called horses. Because just like horses go from place to place, so words travel. You dispatch words, it's like you're dispatching a bunch of horses who are carrying a wagon of an idea, right? It, the ideas that, are, that you're conveying that are being pulled by these words or riding on the words. So words are horses. So we look at a horse and a human rider. A, 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 a horse is a vehicle. And what does the horse do? The horse carries the, the rider to places where the rider can't go on his own. So if it's a very high mountain, you couldn't get up there. But if you have a good horse, you can go onto the horse and the horse can take you up to the highest mountains and the highest places. First of all, it gets you there much quicker. Secondly, sometimes it's just too much for a person to climb on them. But the horse is able to get up very high and very fast and on and so forth. And that's the idea. What do you say? The soul, this two, so there's two things over here. When a person learns Torah, number one, what did we say earlier? That your love and fear to God, your love and fear to God can only get you to the outside of outside of godliness. But the words of Torah, Torah and mitzvahs can, can take you, can make that quantum leap onto the other side and touch God and bring you to God himself. So that's the idea that in that sense, the person is the rider and the horse is the Torah. But then in the Torah itself, the content that's in the Torah, that's the rider. Cause that's the ideas are what are shaping the words are driving the words. But yet the words themselves, that's the horse. And just like in human-animal relationship, the animal takes the person much further where the human can go. These days we obviously have inanimate objects that take us to places we can't go. So obviously we can use the car as the, as the example or the plane or the whatever, or the spaceship as the example. But he's using the idea of the horse. But that's the idea that it will take you much further Although he says, if you leave a horse on its own and you don't hop on top of it, or even if you top on, hop on top of a horse and you don't hold on to the reins, the horse ain't going up a mountain, it ain't going anywhere. The horse is staying in the stable eating a munching grass. Or even if it's go out of the stable, it's not going to take you anywhere productive. So there has to be kind of the symbiosis between the person and the horse. You need to take hold of the horse and direct it. But once you're directing it, it will take you where you couldn't go on your own. What does that mean spiritually? When you're learning Torah, you got to bring yourself into it too. And that is your desire to cleave to God. That's how you direct these words of Torah to take you to God. If you are learning Torah just because it's Torah, Meaning without any intention, without any mindfulness. You're learning Torah because you enjoy the scholarship of it. You enjoy the, the mental entertainment of it. Then the horse is staying in the stable. You're learning a nice physical things. You're not really going anywhere. 
But if you learn Torah because you realize that as much as you try to reach God, you're never going to reach him. But if you study the holy letters of the Torah, they will take you on a journey on this. I can't even use infinite because it's beyond infinite. That's the point. They will take you up to Hashem himself. So that mindfulness, that's the direction. You're directing the letters and you're saying, giddy up. <laughs> you know, you're saying what you're saying to the horse to take you up to the source. But then it's the horse that's taking you. And then he says, just like Torah takes you to, to, um, to God himself, the words of Torah. It's the letters of the Torah. The same, it's also the physical act of the mitzvahs take you also into the into Hashem's very self. And that was the last idea. Let's learn the last lines so we'll, it'll be easier to connect it to what we're going to learn tonight. This is five lines. One, two, three, four, five lines from the bottom of the first column. And just like it is regarding so it is too also regarding other mitzvahs that they too are higher than all the inspiration of the soul. And it's primarily the physical part of the mitzvah that is what links you up with God's very self. The Chesivit says in the Pasuk, Avram Avinu is praised. God praises Abraham and he says, he is so special. What is so great about Avram that he's going to command his children after him, Vishamru, they're going to observe Derech Hashem, the way of God. Mishpat. They will do righteousness. They will do charity or mishpat, and they will do judgment. I see Abraham is going to make sure that he has a children who are going to follow in the ways of God. They're going to watch the ways of Hashem, and they're going to do tzedakah or mishpat. And what's going to? And as a result of that, what is so great? And God says, "I love him because of this." And, what, and, and, and how is Amram Avinu commanding his children to follow the ways of God? How? By telling them, Laman hevi Hashem Avram, because as a result of this, Hashem is going to bring on Abraham, on Avraham, a sashadibet, all of that which he has spoken upon him. He's going to explain, what does this mean? That Avram tells his children, follow the ways of Hashem, guard the ways of Hashem. And do tzedakah and judgment. And why, you know why? Because then Hashem will bring on to Avram what Hashem spoke upon him. So first of all, the word upon him is strange. Hashem spoke to him. What does it mean he spoke upon him? And another thing, is Avram Avinu interested like just in material reward? Oh, you be good so that God will fulfill his promise to Avram and give him all the good stuff he said that he promised him. That's like, almost seems like serving God for ulterior motives. Telling his children, you be good, because if you be good, God will give me. What's the deeper meaning? So there's a much deeper meaning according to the altar. Avram is the symbol and the epitome of devotion to God through love and fear. Abram is the, the ultimate 
person the highest level of spiritual achievement. He's the one, the whole world was ignorant, the whole world was following their ridiculous idols. Can one human being recognize God and proclaim Hashem's truth to the world and preached and taught monotheism for all of mankind? And himself was continuously going higher and higher and higher in an enormous level of love. God keeps on testing him and he goes higher and higher and higher. So Avram represents the peak of like the soul in heaven, but down here below of a person who's climbing the, the, lad, the, the mountains of spirituality to the highest peak. But what did we say? There's a cap. There's only so far you can go. And therefore, Avram Avinu reaches a limit. With his love, he reaches a limit. So what does Avram do? Avram doesn't want to connect to God's illuminations. Avram doesn't want to only connect to the knowable God or even the transcendental God, element of God. Because Avram knows deep, deep, deep in his core soul that whatever he can appreciate as transcendence that's not that, that's not who God is. That's only that's our perception of transcendence. And that's not him. And he has no way. He realizes he has no link to God's very self. So what does he do? He tells his children, you're going to get the Torah. He warns his children. And for seven generations, the Avram children were telling their children, the day will come, the Torah will be given. And then Vishamru, we're going to be able to observe the ways of Hashem which we'll soon see what that means. And we will lasso us. We'll be able to do physical mitzvahs, tzedakah. We're going to be able to give charity. And we're soon going to see that all mitzvahs are called tzedakah. And in mishpat and judgment, we'll see why judgment over here is important. We'll get to that soon. But what's going to be the result of that? Laman havi Hashem al-Avraham. So now, so God can actually give Avram to a taste of God himself. That which Hashem has spoken to come all of, on top of him. What does that mean? On top of all of his achievements. On top of wherever he reached. There is something that has to crown him above that all. And that is the beyond beyond. Avram is touching beyond but he's not touching beyond beyond. So the beyond beyond was spoken upon him. It's on top of him. It's higher than him. But how will that be brought? Avram is telling his children, you can do it. Because we know when Mashiach will come, Avram Avinu will be resurrected. Abraham and Sarah will all be back here. And they will all receive, excuse me, they will all receive this great light, even though they didn't do mitzvahs. Because it wasn't given yet. Because we did the mitzvahs for them. And then they too will have access to that great light. So this is the idea. Through the Avram is, is, is commanding his children to keep mitzvahs. Through the mitzvahs that are called in general like will be explained. Nimshach al b'chinas Avraham is drawn on to Avraham. She midas Ava. What's Avraham? So when Avraham is really not even talking about himself. He's not saying, so that God will give me. The Alter Rebbe says even deeper. He will command his children that all, all of his children 
which means all of his, all of, what's a, what's a child? The child is a, a replica of the father. So it's a continuation of the father, of the parents. So the children are a continuation of Avram. What's Avram? Avram is love of God. So what he's saying is, learn, he's commanding them that they should do mitzvahs so that God can bring on the Avram in them, which is the spiritual seekers that are inside of them, God can bestow on that spirituality of the person a much higher light than the spiritual than the spiritual human can reach for. Then when it says Avram, it doesn't only mean our grandfather Avram. It means the Avram inside of us. What's the Avram inside of us? The love that we have. Our inspiration, our love, our fire to God. And on top of that, Hashem is going to give upon that Avram, the Abraham is going to give his very self. Avram is the one who's always traveling. We take a look at Avram, we see he was lifeless. He was a traveler. And spiritually, that means he was always traveling higher with a deep, unquenchable quest to connect to Hashem higher and higher. But as we said before, it has a limit. But all of that which Hashem spoke upon him, all of Daika, onto him. That's the level of what did we say earlier? We said there is my Seberatius, there is creation. Then there is the level called Pele. That's that's Pele is what we say earlier, that's that's beyond, or that's transcendence, that's Pele. Adoinaneflois is the master of transcendence. What's above transcendence? And as we said earlier, to him, even the transcendence is like in a physical action. He's beyond, beyond. So that's the meaning that he says, Hashem will be able to bring upon onto Avram that which Hashem has spoken upon him. That's the level of the master of transcendence, above transcendence. God's true transcendence, not what we perceive as transcendence, or anybody anywhere perceives as transcendence, but the truth of God's transcendence could be put upon him. This is, it's we use twice the word above. It is above, above what the soul can grasp. And what one can reach for or connect to through cleaving to the living God, which we said before is very limited because it's only as we perceive and that's why we said earlier, when we sense the master of transcendence, it causes us to recoil. We know we can't go there. We can't know it. There's no access to it. It's totally blocked. And yet through a mitzvah, we can go there. Beers and the explanation of this matter. So now he's going to go back and he's going to base in, in, in this amazing explanation of what Torah and mitzvahs are. They're channels to open God up from a very, very deep inner, from God's private self, as God knows himself, not an outwardness, but his inner self, his true beingness, and to open up a pathway for us to be able to, to, to connect to that. He's now going to explain the beginning of the verse. Avram is going to command his children that they should keep the way of Hashem, Derech Havaya. So the Alter Rebbe is going to explain how that meaning of Derech Havaya also emphasizes the same idea, the Derech Hashem. 
Because he explains that, you see, this whole system that we spoke about earlier, the, the imminent energy of the divine within creation, including also the transcendence, the infinite of creation, what we call Soviet Kalama, the encompassing light of God that transcends the, the whole system. But yet, it's a transcendence that is relative to the world, it's transcendence and it's infinite. That's called Pele, a wonder. So this entire system is really called Havaya. Why? Because Yud K Vav K represents all the various levels in the world. And the transcendence, where's the transcendence hinted to in the Yud K Vav K? If you look at a Yud, the Yud has a little um, thorn on the top of the Yud, which is indicating higher. So that higher, that's this level of transcendence. So the Yud K Vav K, the Tetragrammaton, is really um, is really um, um, conveying or or it contains within it the entire system, the entire construct of creation, the two levels of creation that we spoke about: the immanence, the indwelling light, and the encompassing. What does it mean, Derech Havaya? Derech Havaya means a way to make Havaya come out. There Havaya doesn't mean the ways that God are showing us. That's a simple level. You will follow the ways of Havaya. No. You will actually create Havaya. There Havaya means to open God up that Hashem should come down to be Yudke Vavke because he is beyond Yudke Vavke. How much beyond is he beyond Yudke Vavke? He's not just beyond the letters themselves. He's even be, be, beyond what the letters perceive as beyond, what the Yud, the letter Yud, the Chachma, perceives as beyond, which is that Keser light. He transcends transcendence. And therefore, how do you get Yudke Vavke? Well, it's God's boundless, infinite mercy and compassion that he lowers himself down to open up this entire system of Yud Kevavke. So that, and from where is from where is that mercy coming from? It's coming from what's beyond wonder. It's from Adoina Neflois. That's where the Rachamim Rabin, he's going to refer to this as infinite mercy. And that's where this entire notion to create worlds, to sustain worlds, to encompass worlds, to dazzle the worlds, the whole thing, it's all, it's all stemming from his compassion. And that compassion is called Derech Havaya. And who is the one who evokes and stimulates that compassion? From what's beyond beyond, that's when we do acts of kindness down here. That's when we're hitting what we call Rachamim Rabim. Abundant mercy. Not There's two levels of mercy. There's divine mercy that's already within the construct, within the system. Within the system of creation, one of the attributes of the divinity of the world is an attribute of mercy. And that attribute has some, some limitation to it. The true element of, of, of rachamim, of boundless, 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 Endless mercy and endless compassion. That's the compassion of the ain't self himself. And what's it compassion? To, 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 to call himself Havaya, Yudke Vavke. 
so that we can have a relationship with him. So he can create us and relate to us. So who makes God have a name, Avaya? We make his name. We cause him to have Avaya through our mitzvahs that we do. Obviously, it's re- <laughs> obviously we're working reverse. Because first he, he, he created us and he made us, and he, but then he gave us mitzvahs. And then through the mitzvahs we do now, we're basically stimulating our own creation. It's almost like, because he's beyond time. So even though he made us first and he made this whole system first, but yet he's doing it as a result of us, of us doing the mitzvahs now. It's almost like we are affecting an, an, an effect in the past. It's almost like we are now causing God to create the world. You could do anything right now to cause him to create. So it's like you're motivating creation or you're activating creation before it was ever created. Now with your action. So you're activating your own creation because you're activating God's derech havaya that he should lower himself down into havaya. How are you doing it now once you're created? Because we're dealing with someone who transcends all elements of time. So what you're doing, and, and he wants you to you to, you to activate it. So you can activate even, even the notion of, of creating you. That means that that creating you means you don't exist yet, and yet you're activating it. So how does that work? It's impossible for us to understand. But that's the way it is. So as he says, what does it mean? It doesn't mean the ways of Havaya. It means a pathway that it should be Yudke Vavke. Because Yudke Vavke is basically God already coming in a certain image. And God essentially is beyond all image. So to lower God down into the image, God takes an infinite journey downward of contraction. And who stimulates that contraction? That's what we say is this boundless mercy that we activate through our acts of charity and goodness. And opening in a way, that it should be Havaya. I know. What does Havaya mean? This is indicating. Oops. Something is wrong over here. This is this is indicative of the creation and the coming into beings of all world. May I and Yesh from nothing to something. The letters of the Yudke Vavke are what's being all of beingness into existence. Yud Chachma Yud is is the power of wisdom, and and He is Bina. So so that's Havaya. Now what makes it be Havaya? Because God himself is beyond being, having this wisdom. The wisdom, his wisdom, his understanding is already a certain personality that God has. And from that personality, he emanates and is a a creator to all of creation. But we first have to stimulate that he should come down and make himself that person. So we have to generate that he he should make himself wise and he should make himself um, um, understanding and he should make himself knowing and so on and so forth because he's utterly beyond all these characterizations he's beyond wisdom and you are wise meaning and with with beyond no you don't have the you don't you're not Hashem is not wise he doesn't have the he doesn't have the 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 um 
the fault of not having wisdom, but he's not, you can't define him as wise. Pidish al Derech. No, I'm sorry. I'm reading it wrong. And this that we say that God is wise, so we are attributing to him wisdom. So that's only coming, he says, from God's humility. You know, he humbles himself down to be wise. As it says in the, in the sages say, in the place of his greatness, over there you'll find his humility. So where we look at him and see him as such an enormous, unbelievable, wise, infinitely wise, that's his humility. Because he, that's already giving him some context and God is infinitely beyond all contexts. Because, to, because all he made with wisdom, which includes that wisdom itself is like we said earlier, like a cookie. It's like something he makes. It's not that he, he's, he, he, he's so beyond that it's like it's considered a physical action. I see a gashness, it's like a physical action. And it says in the Pasuk, another proof that Yudke Vavke, he transcends Yudke Vavke infinitely. It says in the Pasuk, Ani Havaya Hushemi. It says, I Havaya, I Yudke Vavke, that's only my name. Shmi Bilvad, it's my name. Just like the um, analogy of a name. That doesn't have any equivalent to the very person himself. Like a person's name is external. But it says, the sages also say that before the world was created, he and his name were alone. What does it mean alone? It means that his name was so absorbed in him. This energy that later comes down to be, forms itself to be God's personality there was once a time when that was just absorbed in him and he and his name were alone. It was only him. So it was completely hidden. There wasn't even a potential for it. It was not, it was as if it didn't exist. It was just a pure, uncharacterized, undefined, just essence of God. It was completely concealed. And therefore there was no, it, therefore you have to break open that that should come out. So in order for that to emanate and he should be Havaya, he should be the being who we know him as, as the creator and the sustainer and the infinite good and kind and compassionate and all these things. That there should be Havaya in a revealed, a revealed Havaya. So to activate and to draw it down, there was his goodness and his compassion. And over here, the emphasis is not his attribute of goodness and attribute of compassion, because these attributes are all much later. They're part of the personality. We're talking about his essential compassion and goodness. How can you say on him who is beyond all definition and context, compassion and goodness is one of the mysteries. But it's, 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 at this level, it's completely one with him. As it says, God is good to everybody. And his compassion is on all his actions. And as a result of this compassion, with this tuva, with this goodness, what does he do? He renews creation, creates creation, renews creation. And as we also say, the good one, your, your, your mercy never ends. Which level of mercy are we talking about? We're talking about boundless mercy. 
that's higher than the world of Atzilus. Usually when we speak about God's attributes of mercy, it's one of the attributes of the world of emanation. It's one of the attributes. It's part of the Yutke Vavke. But here we're talking about a much higher level. Rachamim Rabim, boundless mercy. It is way above, above the entire progression of, of evolving worlds. Because the ordinary attribute of mercy, which we're usually referring to as God's attribute of mercy, that's already the attribute of once God has already a personality. And amongst his personality traits, he has an attribute of mercy. That's an attribute, and it, and, and it could be opposed. It has a opposing um, attribute, which is the attribute of, of judgment, which contradicts the mercy. Mercy says, let's have compassion. And judgment says, no, that's, that person is a criminal. That's, that's evil. That's bad. And as a result of that, that needs to be, uh, yeah. There's an attribute of Amit Samtsemes. That, that that contracts, as we say, Yemina Usmala. There's the right and the left. But that's already called Hashem's right hand. His kindness is his right hand. And his, uh, his, his, his uh, sternness and judgment is his left hand. So the left contradicts the right. And there's some kind of a measure and some kind of a limitation. But when we're talking about this level of mercy that we're talking about over here, which is higher than the entire personality range of God, it's mercy that has no measure, and no comparison. It's not even like a person who has mercy. Usually, our mercy applies to entities that are kind of close to us. So generally, what kind of who do we have mercy on? On people. And generally, people that are in trouble, people that are suffering, people that are in a you know, in a pitiful state, person is extremely poor and doesn't have what to eat. You feel bad for them. Person is extremely ill and you try to help them out as much as you can. Person is suffering some other emotional and deep uh, hardship, pain. They lost a close relative. Something horrific happened in their life. Your heart goes out and melts with mercy. But then the further things are from you. Now, people have compassion on animals as well. In most cases, the compassion on a human is more than the compassion we have for an animal. But we find that we can have compassion for animals as well. But within animals, you know, people have a lot of compassion on dogs because dogs are their kind of friends. Maybe some cats or some other cute little deer. But then how much mercy do we have for a mosquito or a fly? I mean, we can become a good friend of a fly. Not really. Today I was just thinking about it. Today I was thinking about the flies because I was busy taking in my garbage pail in front of the house, the trash can. I was taking it in and I was thinking, how lovely is the winter that I don't have to deal with a thousand flies when I'm doing it. I mean, remember just a few months ago, you got that, that, like a million flies around the, uh, the trash. In the winter, God says, no flies. So we don't have flies. In any case, but do you, when a person is like very abundant in their compassion, so much so that they can have their compassion extends even to flies, but that's like that's a far stretch. It's a far stretch to have a compassion on a fry. 
That means that you can, person can't sleep at night because he knows there's a fly stuck between the two parts of the window. You ever have that? A fly got stuck between the inner window and the outer window. It doesn't matter where to fly. Imagine if a person can't sleep at night because he's thinking about that fly and he just literally it perturbs him. And he's feeling such mercy and compassion for that fly, right? So we say that's a very merciful person to be able to extend so far. But he's saying for God, our distance of it. And when we say our, we mean definitely our physical world. But even the spiritual cosmos and the cosmos of the cosmos and everything together is to God less than a fly compared to a human being. It's nothing. So to have mercy on us, to create us, to sustain us and care for about us and get involved with us is boundless, boundless, limitless, endless mercy. That's what it is. It's boundless. And, and God does have mercy on the tiny little flies on every creature and every being. It's, it's, it's endless. By a person's distance of him and the fly is, is, is a measurable distance. But on God, right, it's, it's without an end. Person and fly do have some commonality. Why? We both share a common, a common, something in common. What do we share with the fly? I'm a creature and the fly is a creature. We both live in this planet. Yeah. Obviously, it's a whole complete different kind of a life, but still, there is an equation. There is something in common. But God and the world have nothing in common. Nothing, 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 nothing. Zero, 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 zero. All the world. So, therefore, as much as you can imagine the distance of having mercy on a fly, it's much, much greater. Which is in the case of the Ein Sorif, of the Infinite One, Ein Erech Elof Klau. There is no comparison to him at all. And when we say they don't compare to him, even the highest sublime world, and even Pchenes Niflois, remember I said to you earlier, I said that the level called Pella, which is like the infinite light to the world, it's a wonder. To God, it's a, it's, it, it has no value at all, not even like a fly. I gave you before the example of a cookie. That's way too much to attribute to it. A cookie is like an important thing. He's saying it's not even like a fly. The level of pellet to him, it's nothing. Therefore, the entire, the entire project and on all these levels and on all aspects of, of everything to Hashem himself, it's all meaningless. And noifel midasalach now. So, so, so why? That's, that's real infinite compassion. Now, it's hard to imagine that because how can you have compassion on something that doesn't exist? Because had you never created it, it didn't exist. You can com have compassion once something is around. It's like, but that's, that's, the, that's the notion over here is, is compassion is to create it and to give it existence and then to have mercy on it. It applies this, this, this boundless mercy. Because Hashem is the true Ein Sof, the true infinite one. encompasses all worlds. And as we said before, He equalizes everything, which means they're all equal in what sense? That they're all equally nothing. <laughs> they're all equally amount to nothing. And on this it says... 
Chanun v'rachon havaya. The verse that says Chanun, grace, graceful and compassionate is havaya. What does that mean? Simply it means havaya, which is Hashem. He, he is Chanun v'rachon. But now we're learning a much deeper meaning. In order for there to be havaya, he first has to have infinite mercy to, to create this entity of himself called Havaya. He has mercy and lowers himself down to be within a certain context, to, have, to, to be a creator of the world, to be the artist that creates this art. So he there is compassion in order that there should be Havaya. And that's the meaning of Dere Havaya, a way the way is the infinite compassion. That's the way, that's the opening channel to bring to Havaya. These are the 13 paths of wisdom, which are the source of the worlds of Atsilus, as stated elsewhere. It's the compassion that's higher than Atsilus. And this is the way, this is the road that there should be Havaya. But here is the beautiful thing. All of this, you would think is what? It's God's business. Oh, it's our business. Because we are the ones who make this happen. As we said before, we're the ones who stoke our own creation. The mercy to bring us into existence. Throughout not through any sublime things you do, only through the physical actions that are a mitzvah that God commanded us to do. Not nice physical actions that are nice in our terms, but the, the things that God told us are nice. Yeah. It happens to be that one of them is to be kind to people and generous and giving to people. But in, a, in as much as that's a mitzvah, so that's what, that's what generates so God gave us a mitzvah, and then God is going to mimic and reflect our mitzvah. That's amazing. As we do it, he does it. So sometimes you get bothered. Does it happen to you? How many people nudge you and keep on sending you these texts and these WhatsApps and these and these messages about doing against a duck and against a duck? And I get like 30 of them a day from every corner. And you wonder, who gives them my number? And then I'm going to block all these numbers sometimes. You say, who gives every second minute? This guy, this yeshiva is having an auction. This one is having a this. This one is having a that. Leave me alone, Ray. I'm all, I'm all charity out. No, we feel that a lot of times. If we only realize that all that is generating, it's generating, it's generating, it's what's generating. It's generating the world. It's generating the, the, the upper worlds and it's generating the, divi the divinity of the world. That's what's great. It's making Havaya. The, yeah, these actions are creating Yudke Vavke because you're evoking the mercy to create the Yudke, to bring forth Yudke Vavke. This is crazy. So all these messages and Nudniki messages, they're all justified. We just justified them in today's class. They're all justified because there's never, there's never, um, it's never enough. That's the idea. It's never like satisfying if you realize what you're doing.
And remember, it's only what we can do when we're in a physical body. Here's where we hold the master keys. Here's where we turn the dials. The, pre, the primordial dials that, that, that bring everything is created in the physical earth down here through these physical acts of tzedakah that we do in mitzvahs. And that's what he says. It's all this is accomplished through our arousal from below. We arouse it through the, the charity and the judgment we do. In general, it's all the mitzvahs. Like we'll explain. And specifically, it's the mitzvah of tzedakah. In general, it refers to all mitzvahs. But specifically, it's the mitzvah tzedakah. Because, you see, the, the reason why it's specially tzedakah, because tzedakah, you're, you are, you know, God is your shadow. That God's where God set himself up. That So in tzedakah, we are doing something, and we're asking God to follow in us in doing the same thing. So when God sees that his tiny little creature who's nothing shall be nothing, tiny, tiny, insignificant, nothing of nothing, is doing charity, God says, if he does charity, shouldn't I do charity? If he has mercy, if this little who's busy uh, and yet can find it, find it in, in his or her heart to do a little mercy, shouldn't I have compassion? And then God has compassion on the cosmos. Yes, God has compassion on the universe. God has compassion on all the worlds. This is the so when a person has the midah of Rachmanes, Lashpia to give with our own little puny little goodness and our own little puny little minuscule kindness, in which we want to enliven the spirit of the humble. Someone who is in a in a state of trouble, someone who needs help. So this is what activates an arousal above. That there should be an opening of Havaya. That Hashem is also doing tzedakah. And what does that mean? That there should be the enclosement or the investment of the infinite one blessed is he. So then God too vests himself into the Torah and into the mitzvahs, which means into the 248 limbs of God, which is basically the entire wire system of the universe. But God doesn't do the mitzvahs until we do them. So when we, when we do Havaya, God does Havaya. Our mitzvahs are doing Havaya, so then God does them. That's such an unbelievable humility that he made himself vulnerable to our doings. And then he lowers himself down to be wise. When we learn Torah, that's what we learned this week. When we learn Torah, he's learning Torah. Isn't that cool? We're learning it. He's, we're causing him to learn it because he's beyond. He's, he's descending into Torah when we do it. It's his goodness and his mercy that it should be this eslapshos, this enclosement. And this flow. Like we say, compassionate father, Hamahulo, you are praised. It's his mercy that, that, that makes him be praised, which means makes him be praisable. Because we learned earlier in the mind, I didn't say it today, that 
Hashem really in truth is beyond being praiseable. Why can't he be praiseable? Because we know nothing about him, like we spoke earlier. You can't praise something you know nothing. You can't even go wow. You can only wow on the level that he's wowable. But on a level that you don't understand how wow he is, because you know nothing about it, you can't say wow. So when we say, means he has mercy on you, on, on, on us that we can praise him. That means he's coming closer to us than he's praiseable. He's compassionate father. That's his mercy that's bringing him to a state where we can praise him. On this it says, Hear this amazing puzzle. It says, judgment and, and, and charity. Biyakov in Jacob. Atosisa, you have made. What does this mean? Judgment and 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 charity in, in Yaakov, you have made. It is, is the amazing thing. It means through the judgment and charity that Yaakov does. Who's Yaakov? Yaakov is Jack and Yankel, and all the people who have any other name. Means all of us. That's Yaakov. Yaakov is our neshama, our soul in a body down here below. That's the Yaakov. Through the goodness and kindness and charity and judgments and so on and stuff that we do, shall yaday mishpatet staka should be Yaakov through the mishpat staka that Yaakov does. Atta asisa, we make God be atta. The coolest, such a cool shot. Atta asisa, you make him be atta. What does that mean? You make him be atta. Atta means we point your fingers at you. So that God is. Presentable that we can say you. Other than that, he's 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 completely beyond beyond, and we can't say you. We know nothing about him. Atosisa, we make him into, we bring him into a state of ata. Ata daino gilia nasa bchinas ata. He becomes ata daino gilia lukus. We bring the divine revelation, but so that we understand tzedak. Why does it emphasize mishpat judgment? What's that idea of the judgment? It keeps on emphasizing that when Avram commands his children, they will do tzedakah u mishpat. And again, mishpat u tzedakah b'yakov. V'shamru derech Hashem lasay tzedakah u mishpat. What's the mishpat? Why the judgment? Tzedakah we understand. So he explains. It is not enough on our part to stimulate God's goodness and compassion. Since we are dealing with stimulating and waking up and stirring, stirring the 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 utterly ainsof, who to him everything is equal, Higher and lower is equal. Light and darkness is equal. All elements that we, all, all concepts are equal before him. So God forbid good and evil can also be equal in this level. Because he utterly is outside of any kind of context that we can know. And if that's the case, we draw forth energy. We want to make sure that it, shouldn't fall into that which is dark and that which is bad. Why? Because he's so high, it's all nothing. 
So evil is also nothing, so why should it bother him that they exist? So we have to be very careful when we evoke such a high place that we add to it the discriminating angle. Or else, God forbid, it goes, the energy comes pouring into the world without discrimination, and it's an equal handout, and those who shouldn't be getting get as well. And that's big trouble. As he says, on this level it says, that a spider is chased by every hand. No one likes to see a spider on their bed, on their table, whatever, on their furniture, on your mirror, in your bathroom, whatever. You don't want to see a spider. But the one place that the spider marches around freely and no one bothers her is in the king's in the king's palaces, because in a small house, you, you, you kind of sense every, every inch of space. But in a big, huge palace, because it's so vast and big, the spiders can make itself a nice little comfortable corner and no one will notice it. So because of the vastness of God's infinite thing, it's possible that the, that the, that the, that the dark stuff are dismissed as not being meaningful and not meaningful that we should want to destroy them. And that's why we've got to make sure that they're not. Also the spider that is symbolizes or represents the clip of the shells and the other side, they're able to derive energy. They're able to grab on to some of this energy. For example, like we find that Avraham had a son Yishmael. So that means from Avram's kindness can be sustained even Yishma, who is wicked. So we need to, together with goodness and compassion, we also have to evoke God's judgment that they shouldn't be given life. That this great awakening of energy should only come down into the Channels of holiness, the side of holiness. As we say, Yair Hashem, Hashem should illuminate pun of pun of this infinity, this deepest innermost of the divine. We want him to shine his countenance, his inner light. But where? Elecha, only to you, only to, to the Jewish people, to holiness, to that which is good in this world. Yisa Hashem Panov, Hashem will raise his, his face again, Elecha. To you, we want to direct it. The innermost of the energy should only go where? Now, does that mean that we're calling for the utter starvation and strangulation of all the klipa? Eventually, yes. But for the time being, until Mashiach is fully here, there is a purpose to their existence. So they have to be here, but we don't want them to get any extra. We don't want them to get a surplus. We don't want them to get uh, 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 um, big funding. We want them to get... Uh, just a little leftover scraps. That that's where they belong. They shouldn't get any of this. We're talking about drawing down over here this abundant infinity. What's behind to boost and to invigorate all of creation with boundless infinite light? No way. We got to be very careful that that's not that's not given out. That is given out discriminatorily. But the deriving of the chitzonim of the external force in the sitra achra they're supposed to get the leftover scraps. See, pernayim, they get from the nails. The nails are considered, that's why the nails get dirty and dirt gets under the nails, represents the klipas, 
That's why we always should be careful not to let our nails grow long. We're supposed to cut them and so on and so forth. And when you cut your nails, you got to make sure that you, you know, you flush them or burn them or whatever, because the nails are associated with the klipa. Well, that's where they have to get their some life. The Cyrus or the here, but they're not, they shouldn't be getting from the inside. Now, how do we, this is what we need to do. We need to evoke, evoke judgment above. But how do we above, evoke, just like kindness, how do we evoke God's mercy and compassion? It's through us being merciful. So how do we evoke God's judgment? By us being judging. <laughs> but here's the secret. Not being judging to others, being judging to ourselves. By evoking the judgment in ourselves, we evoke God's judgment also. What does it mean? This judgment, that, that's God's business to deprive the other side from life. What is our business? It's through our arousal from below. A person does judgment on, is in his own soul, we become very strict on ourselves, on giving, leaving for ourselves only minimal, being judgmental on ourselves, to give ourselves the, the, what, we, what we must have, and to most of our resources we give away to charity. And that's one of the amazing teachings the Alter Rebbe always teaches. It's very, the Alter Rebbe is not found of people Give charity, but it's only from the extras. After you know, you had your steaks and your wines and your and your and your and your and your, and your uh, all your other comfortable and 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 five star vacations and cruises and 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 and, and, and you have already three vacation homes. And you have already everything you have. And you have a surplus of money. Why not give a little to duck? The Alter Rebbe is not that, is, that that's not going to shake the cosmos. That's not what we're talking. About. We're talking about giving to the point where it hurts. So much so that the alternative is you judge yourself. You basically are strict with yourself. What do you really need? And everything else will help people. That's, that's if, if one is tuning in to the power of the human being to direct the cosmic flow of energy, then one, and one realizes the truth of what he's saying over here. These are words of truth. And one realizes that then you can bring yourself to a state where you realize that you want to literally give everything for tzedakah and Obviously, you got to take care of yourself a little bit because God doesn't want you to, God forbid, hurt yourself. But as soon as you're comfortable enough to live, the rest of it, tzedakah. Because then he says it in very strong words. He says, the sages say, your life is first. The sages are talking about a person who's stuck in the desert, two people, and you have one loaf of bread, you have your last sandwich your wife packed for you. And you have one sandwich left, and you know there's another three days till you get out of the desert. Either you give your buddy the sandwich or you eat it yourself. The one who's going to eat the sandwich might, might make it out alive. The one who's not going to eat the sandwich is dying. And it's you or your buddy. It's your sandwich. So the law, the law is, according to Torah, you can eat the sandwich yourself because your life comes before someone else. That's the rule, according to Torah. So the Alter Rebbe says, yeah, that's true. Your life comes before someone else. But that's only your last piece of bread. That comes before someone else. But luxuries and other people are starving, their, their food and their basics come before our luxuries. That's the idea. When do we say our life comes first when it's basics versus basics? But when you have basics already and you just want to give yourself some extra luxury, then that... You need to require that the other person who doesn't even have the basics, 
that comes first. As he says, it's only when it's literally your life. Like the Talmud gives you the example of when you have one jug of water. If both of them drink, they will die. Kedisa be Gemara. So it's your last drop of water. You can take it first. Which is in the case of the excessive stuff, extras. They do not come before other people's life. It is not right. Now, it is not. We feel. What do you mean? Just buy money. Let the old guy work for a living. We have all the reasons. My hard work money. And the Alter Rebbe says, it's not judgment, it's not right. It's not right. That the person should indulge himself with the indulgences of the world. And your fellow should die in, in hunger. That is not right. He's not saying the government should come and take it away from you. That he's not saying. But he's saying you should do that. You should choose to judge yourself. And by doing that, what are we doing? By not giving extras. You're causing God not to give, to also be, to deprive that which is bad in this world and not not that you're bad, that's why. It's, the idea that you're creating this constriction is going to reverberate all the way, all the way, all the way up to the all the way up to the infinite or what's beyond the infinite, that when it's stirring and the powerful flow of energy is going to flow in to sustain and to make everything it's going to come with with certain brackets it's going to come with certain barriers and not going to flow indiscriminately everywhere because then it's going to that wouldn't be troublesome through this judgment that a person does not to give a a unique and not to give the body like a bunch of extra indulgences. In a sense, you know how it is? Because what the body is demanding of luxuries is not Kedusha, it's not holiness. That's coming from the Klippa inside of us. Because the holy part of you, your Neshama, just wants the material stuff in this world that it needs to serve God. All the extra luxuries and, and delicacies are not the soul. That's the animal side of the person. And the animal side is, is Klippa. So when you deprive your own klipa and you don't give it, you starve your klipa. So then God starves the klipas above as well. Um, so when one causes this judgment, that the extra, that the that there should not be sustain the excessive entities. Who are the excessive entities? They're the they're, they're the klipa and the sitra achra. They're called extras, and the, and and they're deprived. And that's why we praise and we bless God as Hashem. That He loves tzedakah and He loves mishpat. But what do we see? Bottom line from all of this is that the Torah and the mitzvahs. And now we, we just this whole paragraph is all about mitzvahs. And earlier we learned about Torah. Is the main idea is, is that it reaches pre-creation. When we say pre-creation, we even mean it reaches up into God, pre-Hashem lowering himself down to creation, even the divinity of creation. It reaches up to God's very self where all the, the 
inspiration and meditation, as we spoke earlier, and 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 love and fear that's taking place in all in all the in all the spiritual worlds have no access to that place. But Torah mitzvah reaches up there, and it actually what it does is it draws God down from the place from His true self to be in a relationship with the world. And obviously, when did God open that up for us? By the giving of the Torah, he gave us entryway and access to, to that godliness. And as he's gonna he's gonna as he's gonna conclude in a minute, and in a minute, and in a, in a little while, he's gonna conclude, and that's why souls come down from heaven to this world. So over here they can do those physical mitzvahs. We can't do it in heaven. Now, but he's gonna continue. He's gonna remember he said that tzedakah, it, 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 all mitzvahs he says are called tzedakah. But primarily tzedakah. Now he's going to explain how all, why all mitzvahs are called tzedakah. Why they have the same effect. They all evoke and stimulate Hashem's true self to lower himself down into a context where he's in a relationship with the world. Tzedakah is simple. Because tzedakah means you have compassion it's for those who don't have. So that's the general force to bring God into this compassion for the world that don't have. And in addition to that, every mitzvah is drawing every physical action of a mitzvah. Only the physical mitzvahs are drawing down Hashem's infinity into that aspect of the divine personality that matches that mitzvah. So different mitzvahs are different functions of the different aspects of the divine personality. And when we do them in our minuscule, little, tiny, silly, ridiculous physical existence, it, 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 it reverberates and draws this down. And that's why they're all called tzedakah, because they're all really doing the same action as tzedakah. Just tzedakah is the general relationship, and the other mitzvahs are details in this, in this idea. All the other mitzvahs of the Torah, we turn over the page onto page 126, are also called tzedakah, similar to this. Because we know that the 248 um, uh, positive commandments are the 248 limbs of the king. They're called the limbs of God. Commandments are, we do the commandments, but they're really the limbs of God. What's a limb? So he explained, just like a limb. That in the limb, what, 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 when is the limb a limb? When it's attached to a living person. God forbid the soul leaves the body, the limb is useless. A limb is a conveyor of the soul, right? In, 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 in a body, it, this, it, and the limb is designed to be able to facilitate the soul. But without the soul, the limb is useless. So too, he explains. There is, the, 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 there is God's body. God's body is where God is the, he is the designer of the, of, uh, he's the artist that creates the art of creation. He's the, he's the, uh, he's the engineer or engineers the world. And, and that divine element has many limbs and organs, meaning that structure that he structures himself to be the force beyond the universe. But inside that structure has to come the soul. And who's the soul? The soul is his very higher transcendental self that's beyond this, 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 um, this, this structured being. 
And he has to, that's the soul of this, because of, God is called the man. The man is like this body. That's the mitzvahs, each one. But then there has to be an energy flow in them. And then God himself, the ain't self, has to vest itself in it. And we help him vest himself in it through the mitzvahs we do. As he says, just like the limb, without the life, without without this energy. The body remains lifeless, like a stone, a lifeless stone. The mitzvahs are called the limbs of the king. Which in the mitzvah, the life and the infinite light, blessed as he, flows in these mitzvahs. But who causes the infinite light to flow into the mitzvahs? Which means who makes the mitzvah a mitzvah? Who makes the limbs limbs and draws the infinite into it? That's our physical performance of the mitzvah. And, and, and no, first of all, what produces that God should descend? What motivates the descent of his free, his free infinite light to come down in this form? As we said before, it doesn't gain anything. So what motivates him? It's his compassion. It's his compassion to have a relationship with us. And that's why, that's what motivates this descent. And who stokes the compassion? The mitzvahs that we do evoke this compassionate It's the Abishta's goodness and Rahmanis that is that draws that 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 causes this highest this energy to flow. And we're the ones, the arousal from below that causes it. When we do the act of the mitzvah in the literal sense, when we take a parchment of an animal and we write on it the 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 um the portion of the Torah that goes of the tefillin, and we write God's name on it. Through this, we draw into the physical tefillin the whole the holiness, but we're not just drawing it into the physical tefillin, we're drawing it into the spiritual tefillin. We're filling all of all, all levels of existence with this incredible tefillin energy. From the infinite one blessed to see that he should be the soul of the body of the mitzvahs. And this is his mercy, this is his compassion to give life. To those who don't have anything of their own. And that's why all mitzvahs are called tzedakah. Because when you're doing a mitzvah, you're causing Hashem to descend into the limb. And let's see, see which limbs are these? These are the enormous cosmic limbs that are the inner, inner core of all worlds and all life and all creatures. They're all deriving from the attributes and the attributes of these organs. And within and within these. You only know what you're stimulating above. Oy vey. In any case, so the, the limbs are these organs, and these organs are lifeless until we do a mitzvah. So we are doing the biggest tzedakah and every mitzvah. We're putting on tefillin. It's the biggest form of tzedakah. 
God doesn't only want us to perform the mitzvah. He wants us to create the mitzvah. He wants us to make the mitzvah a mitzvah. Before we do the mitzvah, the mitzvah is not a mitzvah. We create the mitzvah. Now, we do it in the physical, but by doing that, we're causing Hashem to do the mitzvah, which means we're creating this entity above as well. We're shaping and forming God into the form that he wants to be, the human form through which he creates the world. As it also says in the passage, you should observe them. Vasisem oisam, you should you should do them. And the sages, and the verse doesn't say oisam. You will make them into mitzvahs. As stated elsewhere. And therefore, that's the reason why when someone fulfills Torah and mitzvahs, someone who's keeping, is observing, and learns Torah and does mitzvahs, how do we call them? A tzaddik. That's a righteous person. Now he's asking, what does that mean, tzaddik? Tzaddik generally means someone who's correct, righteous, correct. Correct means mainly that you're not harming anybody. Is that all that a tzaddik is? That someone, when we say someone is a tzaddik, he doesn't harm people. That's nice, but a tzaddik? Tzaddik is supposed to be like such a high level. And yet, the, and the simple meaning of the word tzaddik means someone was correct. So a good, decent, moral human being is correct. He's not harming, he's not cheating people, he's not taking anything away from people. So why are you calling him a tzaddik? Now, that, that's the name tzaddik, but, but, but then why don't we make a big deal about it? That, that's not so great, it's just not causing damage. So he says, no. The real reason a person is called tzaddik is not, just be, it's not because they're, not, they're right. It's from the word tzaddik, right. Tzaddik is from the word is they, are, they, they do tzedakah. But hold it, some tzaddikim do a lot of tzedakah. Other tzaddikim do a lot of other mitzvahs, but not so much tzedakah. The answer is every person who's engaged in mitzvahs is called a performer of tzedakah because all mitzvahs are called tzedakah. So the one who's doing the tzedakah is called the tzaddik who's making tzedakah. So on a very high level, these are people that are all that they don't do anything else but mitzvahs. And these are the few tzaddikim that there are. But then on the other hand, we say all the Jewish people do some mitzvahs. Physical mitzvahs, every Jew does. And therefore we say all Jews are tzaddikim for, for, this, for this element. And the, and the quality of tzaddik is a very great quality. We say a tzaddik is the foundation of the world. The sages also say, there's few tzaddikim, he scattered them amongst the generations. He deposited them throughout all of history. Tzaddik simply means someone who's righteous in his judgment. That means he's innocent. He doesn't do any, any, any harm to anybody else. Doesn't cheat people. He doesn't lie. The Einzu It's not such a It's not such a great level. And the Tzadik, the main element of why we call someone a Tzadik, Hashem Shubal Tzedakah, because he's doing Tzedakah. Shuhua Mashpiyat Tzedakah VeChesed, because he's doing a lot of Tzedakah. He's doing a lot of Chesed. But not only in the context of Tzedakah down here, he's helping. 
in the context that when you're doing tzedakah, you're causing God to give tzedakah. And in general, by doing mitzvahs, you're causing Hashem to invest himself in the mitzvahs, which means for Hashem to invest, invest himself to create the universe. And that's why a tzaddik is Yisoyed Olam, is the foundation of the world. When we do the mitzvahs in literal sense down here below, mamish, and to draw to the mitzvah's life that God also does the mitzvah's, which means he, he enters into Yudke Vavke, which is what mitzvah's are, Hashem da oirin soif baruchu, and drawing the oirin soif, keneshama laguf, like neshama to a body, keneskaliel. Again, it's all dependent on the physical, material um, um, action of the mitzvah. We start the second to the last paragraph. And this is the ultimate descent of the soul into this world. Because in this descent, even though it's a very great descent, meaning compromise, when it comes to awe and love, that we can't compare in any way the awe and the love that the soul has to God. The spiritual experiences that we have down here is way, way, way inferior and uncomparably and uncomparable to the soul's vast experiences in heaven. Nevertheless, it is so much greater down here because we can do the physical mitzvahs down here, and 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 of over here we can do the physical mitzvahs, and with that we can stimulate everything. In other words, down here we can become a tzaddik because we can do the mitzvahs, which are tzedakah, which we can't do in heaven. But the strange thing is that he suddenly turns, and that's what made part of the mimer so confusing to me. He says, because when we come down here, we become so much greater. Shanas is becomes Balchuva. Down here we become the Balchuva, we become the penitent. After we descend into this world, we need to return. And, and, and the level where the Balchuva stands, where the penitent stands, the greatest tzaddik can't reach. But hold on, how did he suddenly spit it into Balchuva? Who's talking about Chuva over here? We are talking the whole time about what? About coming into the world. This mimer is not talking about the quality of Chuva. This mimer is talking about the quality of physical Torah and mitzvahs, which he, which he explained earlier is the level of tzaddik. So why is he suddenly spinning it to Balchuva? So I was puzzled by this very much, but what came out from looking at the Mittler Rebbe and Teres Chaim, that long line, literally 15 minutes before the class, I got, ah, and it's so great. And that point is like this. If it's Torah and Mitzvah that God wants, and he, for every reason, he wants us to do it, he doesn't, he doesn't want to do it. He wants us to evoke it in him. So why is it done in a way that we have to do it in a physical form. Why can't we do these mitzvahs? We need to engineer it. We need to do it so God will copy us. Good. Let the soul do in heaven. Do all the mitzvahs in a spiritual world. Why is it necessary for the neshama to come out in the physical world and do it here and over here become the tzaddik? Let it be the tzaddik up there and do it spiritually and also draw God down into the spiritual realms. What's the necessity for it to be in the physical? 
the answer. The answer. What did we say earlier? What does it take to cause God to descend? What does it take to go to cause to cause that descent? What stimulates the descent from the Let's go back to what we said earlier, the beyond, beyond into the construct of existence, whether beyond or, or imminence, whichever level. But what causes the descent from what's beyond, absolutely beyond? Why should he even get engaged? We said it's God, it's our mitzvahs. And what does our mitzvah stimulate? It stimulates God's compassion. We need compassion. So where does the soul evoke? Where does the soul evoke compassion? The soul evokes compassion when it's down here in this world because it's in a pitiful state. But we're going to stop and say, and therefore, when he does a mitzvah down here in a pitiful state, he evokes God's compassion, and that's what stimulates. But hold it. Why is only the soul in a pitiful state when it's in a body? Why is the soul not in a pitiful state when it is in heaven filled with spiritual glory? It's still, it's still, it's still, it's still a, a, a pitiful state. Why? Because what did we say earlier? To God, to God's infinite heights, the highest, highest, most transcendental lights are equal to physicality. So even if you're a soul in the and swimming in in, 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 in in infinite ecstasy, it's not true infinity. It's infinity relative to creation, but it's not. Touching God himself. So there should be the same mercy, same pitiful state. The, the highest and the lowest is equal to that. So souls in heaven are also sadly stuck in a, in a, in a nothingness of existence. So why? That itself we need to understand. Why is it that only when the soul is down here does it evoke God's compassion? The answer is, yeah, 100% right. In heaven, the soul is worthy of the divine compassion as much in other words the element of god's compassion is fitting equally to the soul in heaven as it is to the body but that's from god's perspective but from our from our perspective We don't feel the pity for ourselves when we're in heaven because we think we're soaring in infinity. So when a soul is in heaven, it doesn't, it is feeling good. It is feeling good about its godliness. It's not weeping. It's not crying. It's not, it's not, it's not feeling pity for itself because it thinks it's in a good state. But when the soul comes down in a body, it knows it's not good. It's very uncomfortable. And the discomfort that it has causes it to get frustrated. And in that frustration, it cries out. And when it cries out, it stimulates the compassion above. You're right. A soul in heaven has just the reason to be equally compassionate because the soul in heaven should cry out on its pitiful state, but he has no idea that it's in a pitiful state because it's in a world of bliss and beauty. But when you come down here and it's pretty miserable and it's stuck, I mean, it keeps on feels, you know, obviously miserable. You can have a lot of good in physical material enjoyments, but for a soul, it's not. You're not tapping God. You're blocked. So the soul down here, again, let me put it this way. 
In order for God to come down, it's through his compassion. But that compassion as well, and, and when we do a mitzvah, when we're having compassion, we're causing his compassion. But we have to do one more thing. We have to also feel compassion to create that, to stimulate that compassion. Not only the compassion we have for others, but we have to have a deep, we have to feel ourselves in a pitiful state. And that pitiful state evokes the compassion above. And that's the idea that down here we are a balchuva. A tzaddik, the general definition, ultimate of a tzaddik, is that a tzaddik is being right. He's good. He's doing always the right thing. He's the good thing. Souls in heaven, they're always in a good place. So they're tzaddikim. When they come down here, the main work is tzaddik, mitzvahs, doing mitzvahs. But in order for God to lower himself down in the mitzvah, to even, there has to be a, a spark of the compassion. That's why before every mitzvah we do, we really should do tshuva. We should have a broken heart. And that's why the sage is saying, he's going to bring it in a moment, you don't start praying, which means you don't start your day. You don't generate any spirituality until you reach only with a heavy head which really means a great humility, a feeling tiny and small and insignificant, and you feel a lot of compassion for your holy soul of how stuck it is in your ego and this blocked world. And by that, you really feel sorrow to the point that you can weep, you can shed a tear for your own soul. That compassion evokes God's compassion. So again, in heaven, this is the very fine point over here, Heaven as well justifies the compassion, but there's no one stimulating it there because they don't know they're in a compassionate state. But we are down here can stimulate it because we're constantly, we feel so constricted over here. So we can have the compassion and stimulate the compassion. And then when we do the mitzvahs, God is now hooking up with our mitzvahs, that our mitzvahs are now drawing him down. But it's all starting with that compassion. And that's why we have to do the mitzvahs as a balchuva not as a tzaddik. When doing the mitzvahs, we are being a tzaddik, but what's motivating the mitzvahs before the mitzvahs is the state of balchuva. And we become a balchuva, which means a penitent, a returnee, only when we come down into this world, because that's when we feel the gap and we feel the suffocation of the darkness of the world. Because the great mercy that is above, above, who hamizgala b'chenes balchuva, on the Balchuva, it reveals itself. It's true, it applies even to the Tzaddik, but it reveals itself to the Balchuva. That's why we find, let me give an example. When do we access in the most direct, open way God's infinite mercy? When do we direct, when do we tap the 13 attributes of mercy, which represents this infinite, boundless mercy of God's very self? When do we touch it? On Yom Kippur. That's what we keep on saying, on Yom Kippur, 13 attributes of mercy. Why? Because Yom Kippur is a day of tshuva. And we're revoking it on our sins, on our disconnect, because we feel broken, we feel disconnected. We, 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 look, we bring ourselves to a place feeling so far, and we evoke the mercy. After the soul comes down here, then it is very great. It's a great 
um, 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 uh, pitiful. It's, there's a lot of pity on the soul. It doesn't mean, and this is what this is where I got stuck. It doesn't mean that the that the soul is only in a pitiful state down here, not there. It is, but over there, there's no one evoking it. Here, we're evoking it. If you go into a place, and there are people that are in sadly in a pathetic state, you go into a prison, and the people are in a pathetic state. They're in jail. They're in a prison. Okay, you have compassion, but then. But when you suddenly come across a prisoner that's weeping in the prison, literally sobbing, your heart goes out. You go into a hospital and you see sick people, you feel bad. You go into a room and someone is moaning in pain and crying out, that evokes your compassion. Everybody else isn't just in the same terrible state. But the fact that they're silent about it is, is, is keeping you from feeling the compassion. But when someone is evoking the compassion, that's, that's awakening compassion. So down here is when we evoke the compassion, not up there. Because over there, we think we're in Disneyland. Uh, Before he comes in this world, it's tzaddik. He's a perfect tzaddik. So he's kind of kind of satisfied with himself. So he's not evoking the compassion. And as a result of that, his mitzvahs, and because of that, you don't have that broken heart, so your mitzvahs, the, the spiritual mitzvahs that we would do in heaven will not do anything because it's lacking this compassion. When we come down here, because over here, so it's so, another ingredient he just added, it's so important to throughout out an entire life to constantly feel brokenhearted. I'm not talking sad or depressed, but broken on how distant and how far we are and how like the constant truth and constant dissatisfaction on a deep level from our spiritual state is very healthy. And it's very, it's a very important ingredient in our, we have to be careful because from that place we can go, sometimes get into a depression and kind of like say, eh, I'm not worth anything and just throw in the towel. That's, that's terrible. But a broken heart, very, very, very potent and very powerful. That's why the sages say, we don't, Stand up to Davin, only with a heavy head. Upidish Rashi, Rashi explains. Doesn't mean from a headache. Rashi says, we have to first meditate on how lowly we are. We bring ourselves to feeling inadequate, which means you this the submission. The Alter Rebbe learns that um, submission over here means to evoke great mercy on the spark of God. We're not talking about self pity. We're talking about pity on the true self, on our spark of God that is so blocked in our in our thick, dense consciousness. Which through this, this reverberates and goes back, 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 back and sends a signal. It evokes all the way up above, above from the very quintessential root of mercy. And to evoke this graceful and compassionate one so that he should lower himself down into the mitzvahs. That there should be a revelation of the havaya, when we then occupy ourselves in Torah and mitzvahs, so the balchuva leads us into the tzaddik. That's the point. When you're learning Torah doing mitzvahs, you're a tzaddik, but the balchuva leads you into it, meaning the tshuva moment leads you in so that your tzaddik can be a tzaddik. So it shouldn't be dry, hollow mitzvahs. It should be mitzvahs that contain God in it. 
And not God, not godliness, but God himself. That's the idea. So Dafka, when the Neshama comes down into this world, this it's through this, this great descent is where you get the ascent. So God had to put us into a place of discomfort. This will explain why it was so important. We said earlier, you come down from there here, so you do Torah Mitzvah. Yeah, but couldn't he give you the Torah Mitzvah up there? No. There is a quality. In order for God to engage, it's through his attribute of mercy. And we have to evoke that mercy. And the evoking of the mercy will only happen down here. So, okay. So, but this is all, right? Shama down here. We're given Torah and mitzvahs. We can do it all. But when did the, was all this made available to us? By the giving of the Torah, which starts by the exodus of Egypt, which reaches a pivotal point by the splitting of the sea. Because that's when, remember, that's when God, for the first time, makes that breakthrough, opens, makes himself accessible from a level that he never did before that in creation, at the splitting of the sea. And again, how did he show it to us? We go back to what we say by the splitting of the sea. When he equalized the highest and the lowest, the mysterious, and he made it all equal, that was because he himself that transcends them both was being now was now vibrating, so to speak, into our existence. And that's what equalized it. the higher and the lower. The, 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 the sea became dry land. The infinite was accessible in the finite was because the power beyond the infinite was now, was now in action. So that the giving of the Torah, this, so the splitting of the sea was the opening up for the first time to what was going to happen 40 days later by um, 42 days later by, the, by Sinai where God comes down and gives us the Torah. And, and therefore, what did we do? We felt it, and with prophetic vision, the Jewish people sang that in their song. And hear these words. Oh. They say, I will sing to God. So let me, let me, let's first dissect this from the, from the, we said he is great, Ga'ai, he's a ga'a. he's a great over the great. Now we understand what that a little bit what that means. There's the imminence of God. That's also great, but that's imminent. So that's like knowable, connectable, so forth. Then there's the transcendence of God, which is like the wowing element of the divine. The wow, the wonder. But then there is the wonder beyond the wonder, what we don't even wonder about because it's so beyond that we don't even know what it is at all to wonder about. But that is it. That's the true. That's his truth. And that's he's exalted over he's exalted. So until this moment, that was locked. No one ever touched that. The greatest spiritual seekers were not engaging this love. There is the Kigai God. There is that, that, that very private place, God in his full privacy. So we're saying like this, Ashira, I will sing Lahavaya. I will sing to, now what's singing? Let's just, I will bring joy. Ashira doesn't mean I will sing. I will cause him to sing. Let's understand what that means. When a person is not happy, or when I say not happy, I don't mean necessarily sad, 
but just not happy, meaning not in a state of joy, not in a state of happiness. And especially if they're naturally an introverted person, then what? They're kind of constricted inward. But even an introverted person, when they get happy, they got amazing good news, they will converse more, they will talk more, they will share more, they will come out of themselves. They will come out of themselves and they will they will expose who they are. Not in a, in a good they, they'll just they'll they'll communicate, they'll they'll emerge out of their shell. Even a shy person. The greater the joy, the more the inver- convergence. Until the giving of the Torah, God was kind of semi-depressed. I don't mean depressed. He was locked into himself. He was his higher beyond self was completely introverted in his own being. We will cause joy above singing so that Havaya will so that Yutke Vavke will come out. We are opening up from beyond, from the very essence of God, this new flow of, 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 of essence. Why? Because Kigoi go, because right now we're touching the what is higher than the high. The vibrations are coming from that place. This is what's happening right now. This is opening us up for the giving of the Torah. This is the moment where, where, where God is coming out of himself. God's true self, he is now saying, I want to be in a relationship. Come know me. I'm coming out of my private locked inside. I'm moving out to you. And that's why it says he's great over the great. That's the divine essence. What's the idea of singing? The idea of a song is to evoke the joy. And what is joy? Joy causes revelation. Openness. Because sadness. And depression. Kmitas. Sadness and depression is what melancholiness is kmitas. It's a constriction. You go more into yourself. You lock yourself up. You're closed. You're locked. Is revelation and expansivity. And the expansion of life. Like it shows, it says in one of the sages, he he discovered a new insight and he was so happy that his face was literally shining. That means that the inner light of the soul is because of joy, it, 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 it opens you and it causes it to express itself. The Giloi said, and this Ashira, what's the point of the singing? That Havaya should come out. There should be an emergence of Yudke Vavke from God's very essence. From the from the infinite one, blessed to see and that is surrounds all worlds. The level that we called earlier, is the master who is above Pele, is above even wonder. From that place should should emerge Havaya, should emerge and that he should make himself, he should channel himself down into Yud in, into Yud Kevavke. Which is before, before is the channel through which he connects to us, Yudas Chachma, and so forth, which is going to happen through all the mitzvahs. And it's through what? What is, where is this all coming from? Because the revelation is coming from now, never in, never in all of history was it. Now the revelation is coming from 
ki goi goa from 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 what is not high what is high above high that's where this is coming from and interesting what did we say before what stimulates it compassion so when did the jewish people get to this after they were 210 years in horrible misery and they cried out they evoked god's compassion so you see that this such a it, it took the descent of egypt before that there was you sometimes wonder what was wrong why couldn't abraham continue his jewish monotheistic faith and build a beautiful home in Israel and have family and so forth. why do we have to go through this great doc? God tells Abraham, I'm going to put your children through the horrible misery and suffering. There was no sin even there. What was the purpose? The purpose was that his relationship with Abraham and Avraham Avinu was so superficial and it would have forever been superficial. It would have been from the external from a God that, that we can comprehend. It would never be from God's true being. So, but in order to get him himself engaged there needed to be this compassion and we had to fall into a pitiful state and only then we cried out in other words it was compassion before it was pity before but that's there's no one to evoke it Hashem wants everything we should evoke so when we had pity on ourselves when we were in Egypt and we cried we evoked this compassion and then when it was finally revealed it was only joy boy was it joy and we're saying right now, we're realizing that what's going on. Ashira Lashem, Yutke Vafke is coming forth right now. Kigo, he go from where is he coming from? He's coming from exalted above exalted. And he's now happy. Ashira, we will sing. We will cause this revelation to happen. Geus, Subchenas Neflois. One level of Geus. Geus is one level of exaltedness. That's the level of Neflois. The Goiga, what is a double? Who Brinas Adoina Neflois, the master of. Of wonder, there should be a revelation of Hashem's kindness and Hashem's goodness. which is above, above. The great compassion that's before and prior to the world of Atzilus, which in this level. Now we're going back to the horse. The horse and the rider. What does the verse continue? The horse and the rider he cast into the sea. What did we say earlier? Let's not. He said earlier that the horses represent the words of the words of Torah, which go very high, which actually access this level. Adoinana flies. It's where the horses, and there, and it takes along the rider. That's the person, the soul that generally can access that level, but through the letters of Torah, which come from God's very self, over there we can catch a ride and connect so high. We said earlier. So we would think that he would say now, that's the meaning, that the horse and the rider is now, is now, uh, is now reaching this place. He says no. He actually says totally opposite. That's what also threw me off and made me nuts over here when I was trying to learn this mimer because he suddenly said, he says, so, so, the horse and the rider we cast into the sea. What does that mean? This level of goi go, this level that is so high, is so great, it is lamayla mayla, it is above, above, it's above, above the horse and the rider. Which are the combinations of letters of speech. Which the letters are the horse. And the emotions that are driving the letters, that's the, we spoke earlier, the person's emotions and mindfulness in the Torah that he does, that's considered the rider. And that we said earlier, 
But he says over here, but kemoi, but hear these words. Shagama sus al mashal. What did we say? What does a horse do? A horse is so amazing. Get onto a horse, it can take you who knows where. Yeah, can it take you in the middle of the, can, can the horse take you in the, mid, in the middle of the ocean? Can't. Because a horse can't go in the ocean. It can go a little bit on the beach maybe, but it can't go out deep into the ocean. So hold it. The whole quality of the horse is that he can get you places, but the ocean can't get you there. Can't get you to an island. The horse doesn't swim across. I mean, it's a small, short little island, not a far, far island yet, but a deep power. Can go on a horse to Hawaii. Over there, it overpowers the horse. The horse can't even go there. So what is he saying? Didn't he say that Torah, the horse, does get... No, this place that we're talking about now, isn't this the place where the Torah does get to? So the answer is the way I understand it. What did we say earlier? What did we say earlier? You remember, mitzvahs are what? Mitzvahs draw God down. Mitzvahs draw Hashem down. And mit mitzvahs are already the activation of God's mercy as he's flowing downward. But what did we say we need to do before the mitzvah? Before we can do a mitzvah, we need to have tshuva. In other words, we have to stoke and stimulate the mercy to even come out. In other words, you have to touch even higher than the mercy. You have to touch the owner of the mercy. There is the mercy, and you need to evoke the person into the mercy. So the mitzvahs, they're already God's compassion, or God's pity, or God's mercy. The mitzvahs have that energy. But then you need to reach the place from where the compassion comes from. And that's, see, when you're speaking of God's mercy, it's already something already outward, but then there's the source of it, him himself. That's the broken heart that evokes, as we spoke earlier. That's why he's saying like this, horses, which are the same like mitzvahs, horses are the words of Torah, which in the context that we're talking over here, Torah and mitzvahs. Once God has already established and there is already mercy, there is already a channel that's open, then the channel is through the Torah and the mitzvahs. But in order to create the channel, to open up the channel even before this channel from the divine essence, from the level of Adonai Neflois, once he's open, he's open through the Torah and the mitzvahs. Higher than your love and your fear. The Torah and the mitzvahs reach into his quint, into his essence. But by the Kriyas Yamsa, by the splitting of the sea, it was even before the giving of the Torah. It was before the riding of a God's horses. The ten, the ten Commandments are like the horses riding out. But this is even before that. It's, it's, which means it's even deeper. It's, it's, to, it's to bring to that state. The horse over here is useful. It's, it's useless. The horse is using can't because as we said before, we're, we're, we're in the sea right now. The horse won't do, do you good in the sea. You can't even get here with the horse. So what do we have to do in this level? So initially we cried when we were in Egypt. We cried out and it evoked God's mercy. 
But to tear open and to actually make that move to make himself accessible to us, what do we have to do? What did Moshe say to the Jewish people they need to do when they stood at the sea? What did Moshe say to the Jewish people they need to do when they're standing at the sea? They wanted to pray, and Moshe said no. One thing they needed to do. Moshe says, be silent. That's it. That's the idea that the horse, horse represents words. No horses here. The horse and the rider in the sea, when the horse comes into the sea, it dies in the sea. It can't. What, what, what is necessary right now? Silence. You know why? Because it's not coming from you. It's coming from God. Now it's, it's, it's in, it's, 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 it's the balls in his court. Till now we were talking about our stimulation, our mitzvahs. Our, at this point, it's only, it, it has to be a, God is turning himself on to us. That's what it is. And that, just be silent. Don't try to, don't try to evoke over here. The, at this point, it's, it's silent. It seems like it's even higher than the tshuva. The tshuva is what brought that 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 came before this. But then there is this peak, this one, this 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 nakuda, this point of God transitioning Himself, that His very self will be now available. His 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 move from being private to being external, to to being open to us, not external, but to be to going out. Is something that's up to God Himself, and even Torah couldn't reach this point. Once He's open, His channel is through the Torah. You're going to come back with words, speak words, do mitzvahs. Right now, silence. As He says, and what does that mean? Just like the the horse by Marshall. can't run in the sea. And that's why it says you be silent. Why are you crying out to me? No cries right now. Why? In order for the seed to be transformed to dry land. That the concealed world should become the revealed world. That the Ebersh, the God, should change along the entire order of worlds. The entire system this had to be evoked from God's very quintessence. From the Ainsof himself, a of Kalaman, who's the Soviet of Soviet, that encompasses as we spoke earlier, from the level of, of, of the master of wonders, he's above wonder. The he's exalted over the exalted, to the point that. At this front of him, everything is nothing, including no evoking right now. Silence. And that's the silence that was Atan Tachrushin. And that's why Susveroich by horses, which means words of Torah, words of prayer, not now. That's why the word Susveroich by Rama Bayam, Rama has two meanings to it. Ram means Rama Kogayim, exalted, which means very, very high. Rama, Rashi says, also means he cast it down, threw something down very low. So how does one word mean incredibly high and incredibly low? What he says is because from God's true height and highness, 
everything goes low, low, low. There means nothing. Everything becomes absolutely meaningless and nothing, and now it's only up to him. High, high, high. And throwing down, because this is a revelation of the Oren Saif, Baruch Hasaif of Kalaman, who encompasses everything, and therefore the height and the low are equal. And in a sense, Rama means, so now it's another, not that he is high. When he is revealed, the Rama, the highest and the lowest, stand in actual equal. So Rama can mean both the highest and the lowest, because they're both equal in front of the revelation of what was revealed at this moment. Oh, once we have this giloy, I will sing, I will open Hashem up, I will take Hashem out of his introvertedness, I will cause this havaya, I will sing, and the point of he's coming now, he's getting he's getting involved now on a level of that even horses, even words of Torah, even these highest stimulators are, 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 are now silenced. Once this gilui was there, what's next? What's the next verse? Ozi the Zimraska. What does that mean? Ozi means the strength, the Zimros, and Rashi says the pruning, the cutting away. So he the Alter Rebbe learns over here. There is drawn Ozi the Zimroska. An amazing Pidush on Zimroska. He says, what's the point over here? That from Hashem's private, unknowable self, he should start emerging as in a relationship with us through Yud Kei Right? He should open up the channel of Yudke Vavke. Zimras Ka means to cut out, carve out. Zimras means to chisel. Chiseling out Ka Yudke. That means, till now, Hashem himself was utterly private and unknown. And all the engagement, as we spoke about earlier, all the engagement of all the tzaddikim, Avram, Yitzhak, Yaakov, all the spirituality, was only reaching the external, was never reaching God himself. Now by Matan Torah, by Kriyas Yamsa, which is an introduction to Matan Torah, God is coming down from his very self and channeling himself. Now the channel is always Yudke Vavke, but he's carving out a new Yudke Vavke. So because a new tetragrammaton, a new and the carving, it starts with carving a yud in his essence, and then the yud becomes a hay. But again, we're not dealing with the regular yud kevavke, which is only a ray of him. This is the yud kevavke of he himself becoming yud kevavke. He himself, ani avaya, anoichi avaya. I, my very self, am, am, even though I have no shape, form, design at all, I am chiseling in me like the like the letters of the luchais are chiseled into the stone itself i'm chiseling out of myself uh, the zimras ka a yud ke. why are we emphasizing only the yud ke? because the first chiseling is the is is the is is, is 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 in the concealed worlds it's up there that god's essence is now emanating to down here, as we're going to see, the Vavke, which is the source of this world, is not yet revealed. It will be revealed in the future. So Ozi, the Zimraska, the Yudke itself, the revelation up there is there already. But for it to happen down here, that's the Anvehu, that's the Hey Vav, 
That's in the future. That's not yet, as we're going to see. Ekamai, as it says, almond steam in the concealed worlds. The your your kerem, your your vineyard, you shouldn't prune. So this is to cutting. says this is like a person who is doing what? like a person who is hooing out a stone from a mountain. So to the letters Yudke are now being extracted. From God as he is beyond, he's the master over wonders. He's the Go'ayga, and from the level of Go'ayga, he's making himself knowable to us. On that deep level, it's an intimacy. He's revealing himself in the Yudke. So that he can be revealed to us. The Chatzivizu and this excavation, who bebchenas azi, and what's the azi? For Hashem to do that, az means strength. It takes enormous strength for him to contract himself into a yud. Because over here, he's compressing his entire being. God is compressing his otherwise unknowable, undesigned, infinite, untouchable beingness. He is compressing himself into that yud and into the hay. That's, and that's why it's uzzy. It's an enormous amount of constriction. That's why by Matan Torah, it says we heard the words, the sages use amazing terminology. They say we heard the words mepiha gavura from the, from the mouth of the mighty one. Why are we referring to it as mighty one? Because the most important element by the giving of the Torah was con contraction. God was contracting, but not contracting by diminishing himself, contraction in, in the sense of compressing. He compressed everything of himself into, he was zip driving himself into a zip drive. He was literally contracting, meaning not, you, there's two forms of contraction. A contraction can mean that he's, he's, he's diluting. He's not, by the giving of the Torah, he wasn't diluting, he was compressing. And that's the idea why it's called Uzi. Hashem was making himself wise, drawing his very self into wisdom. This is his enormous humility. And this is an, his power of Gevura, the Tzumtzumim and contractions. And in addition to that, that's one element of Tzumtzum. First of all, he's, contra he's contracting compressing so that he can make his very self channeled to us. But also another reason why there is a gvura here, because as we said earlier, it's not enough to do tzedakah, we also need to do mishpat, because we got to make sure it doesn't go to the wrong places. So that's another element of the gvura. He is protecting this contraction, that it doesn't leak anywhere. He's making it leak-proof. That it shouldn't go where it doesn't belong. It should only go into the relationship with what, with that which is holy, and that is holiness and godliness. The and afterwards, Then we can say, "This is my God." What's the next word? Zekeli is my God, because once he's already in a discernible state, when he's still going, God, when he's still exalted up there, what, what am I pointing my finger to? Now, when he's yutke, I can say, "This is my God." This is revelation. Anirmaz, and that's the reason, Zekeli, this is my God, the Anveyu, and I will beautify him, which means I will then later draw him down from the Yudke, drawn down more into a revealed tangible state, into the Va'an Vehu, 
So the words vehu is hey and vav. Or in the, yeah. Or maybe it's the vav k that's in the, this an, and then vav k, and there's a later vav. I think it's the vav k of the, that, that happens. But, now they had a revelation for a moment of it at the giving of the, at the, at the splitting of the sea. But the real revelation of all of this, that God is going to be fully manifest, revealed, his very being down here in this world, that will be in the future. Tomorrow we will receive the reward, and the reward is to see God in a tangible form down here below. But now we got to do it. What does that mean? We got to download him. We were given access to the download code, but now we have to actually download him through every single one of us doing mitzvahs as much as we can and studying Torah as much as we can. And that's what it says in the Pasuk. On that day, we're going to say, when Mashiach will come, we are going to say, have this amazing interpretation. The prophet says on that day, we're going to say, this is our God. We're going to point to God and we're going to say, this is our God. We hoped for him. We were hoping and hoping. Simply, we were hoping for him. But the Alter Rebbe gives a much and he finally came through for us. We knew he's going to one day come through. God has finally come through. He's taken us out of this crazy mess that's going on in the world. God will event, will very soon bring redemption to the world. But there's a deeper meaning. Not kivinu like means we hoped for him. Kivinu loy means also we channeled him. Because the, a channel is called kav. It's called a, a Hebrew, a kav. We channel God into tangible into the a tangible state through channeling him through all the mitzvahs we do. Primarily it's three channels, the right side, the middle side, and the left side. We channel him into the channel of the human. We channel him in. We were the ones who channeled him. We draw him down into these channels. That's what we will say. So the visible God that we will be, we will say we created this God. We create God. We created God in a manifest reveal. Through all the mitzvahs that we've done, we've given God his limbs in this physical world for him to reveal himself in the world down here below. We've done it. And we were the ones who made him be called Yud Kevavke. We drew him into his name. That he should be revealed. Yud, what's a Yud? Yud has a, as a, a point on the top. Kutzalatata has a point in the middle and, 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 and sorry, at the bottom. And in the middle, it has the, the main part of the yud. Hey, what is the hey? Gimel Kavin. A hey is three lines. It's wet with and so forth. We've done that through our avoda. We draw our God into all these names. Praise the tzaddik that he is good. Through the tzaddik. It's the big tzaddikim who do this on, the, on, a, on, a, on, a, on an enormous way. And the little tzaddik is the little tzaddik inside each and every one of us. In as much as we do learn Torah and do mitzvahs, we are a tzaddik. Which good is, is, is drawn, the goodness of God to everybody. The goodness from a very core essential goodness, not an external ray of him that is naturally there in creation, but the tzaddik draws God himself 
draws God to be intimate with the world. Intimate means you reveal your private inner being. And God does that and will do that and fully experience that intimacy with the coming of Mashiach. And that will be lit, literally momentarily the Goimer. Whoa, what a mimer. What a mimer. Chaim.